Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Hey, everyone, welcome to episode 73 of The Reclaim Leader, helping you lead change without losing your roots. I am Jason Tucker, here with Jesse Skiffington. How's it going, Jesse? Doing well, Jason. Just uh, enjoying life out here in the Pacific Northwest and uh, doing our best to continue to be um, the kind of church that's willing to lean into change. Even as we've changed a ton, there's always kind of some more things to be working on as we as we do our best to be the kind of community together that really makes disciples and helps people not only live for Jesus inside the Christian community, uh, but also in the context of their real world outside of the church. And so, you know, there's always something to work on. I think you and I as leaders and, and probably a lot of the pastors and leaders listening in, we tend to be people who see the problems and the challenges that still are in front of us. And we forget to celebrate all the good things God has already done in and through our communities. And so I feel like I, I, I've kind of had a, a moment in my own leadership where I've needed to stop and go, wow, God, look what, look what you've done. Look how you've shaped us. And to stop, I'd be grateful for the staff and the leadership and, and all those that have been part of the journey too. Because sometimes as a leader, I don't know about you, Jason, but I get way out in yeah. front and I'm solving the next problem and I forget to stop and celebrate with my team. So um, yeah, a little bit of that. absolutely. Because revitalization feels like it's a moving target. It's you're never just done and oh, we're revitalized. Uh, I mean, you're kind of growing healthier or you're growing sicker all the time and more faithful or less faithful all the time. I mean, it's just like us as individuals, but you know, it, it's happening as a body, as a church um, together. And so it does make it hard I, I don't know. Maybe some people don't struggle with that, but I, I, I struggle with that as well. Celebrating the wins, you know, Hey, we climbed this hill together. Yeah. But it seems like, you know, once we've celebrated or in the middle of the party, I've already left to take the next mountain. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. That's a great image for it. And if we're not careful, um, I think what might happen over time is that we get worn out because I think there's something in that, in the joy or the celebration that, uh, revives us and goes, wow, the, the mountain that I'm about to climb next is worth it because um, I've seen what happens when we've climbed mountains before. So um, yeah, stop and celebrate with your team. Uh, give thanks to God for all the good things he is doing, uh, the steps that have been taken, the changes you have seen, the work of revitalization. Like you said, it's an ongoing process that really is never over. And yeah. so um, yeah, uh, kind of leading in that way. Well, before we jump into our topic today, Jesse, I, I was listening to the Andy Stanley Leadership Podcast, and I was very excited when he said, our podcast is brought to you by Belay Solutions, because I felt like we made it. <laughs> although, although everyone's listening to Andy, and you know that's why they're going to Belay Solutions. But we do want to thank Belay Solutions for sponsoring this podcast. Um, they're doing incredible work. I really do believe that, and that's the only reason why you know, I, I would ever have any sponsor be a part of this podcast is because I believe in what they're doing. And um, the virtual assistant that they have given me to work with now, it's been about a year and it's been a total game changer. Getting a lot of those administrative tasks, scheduling, and and 
you know, my virtual assistant Taylor is so professional and awesome. And, uh, you know, her husband is a pastor. She gets ministry. Uh, I don't have to explain that stuff to her. And she works just when she works. She's not, I'm not paying her to sit in an office, you know, um, for a certain number of hours a week. She's doing work as she needs to. And it's just working great. So I want to thank our sponsor, Belay Solutions, and check folks to, or have folks check them out at belaysolutions.com. Yeah. And so tell us a little bit, I mean, you know, dive a little deeper. So is that, do you get on the phone once a week? Do you, is it mostly email going back and forth or how do you kind of organize that with someone who's not in the same space as you physically? Yeah, those are, those are great questions. Um, the thing is they work it out according to however you as a leader like to communicate. So for me, I like face-to-face. Obviously you can't do that when you're in a different state. So we do Zoom video calls, which is the way that we re- record this podcast. We do them once a week. Every Monday at two o'clock, we have our video call. It lasts maybe 15 minutes and we just kind of get caught up. Any projects working on, any scheduling needs. And then we have a couple of, uh, of apps that we use to just stay in touch. So we use something called Voxer, which is really like a uh, uh, push to talk, you know, like those phones used to be. I don't know if those still exist, but you just push the app and you talk and it records the message. And that's probably our biggest way. And then, of course, email. But that's how it works. And uh, she, she has full access to my, uh, to my Gmail, to my calendar, and she just goes in and, and does all of that and lets me know where we're at. So it's, it's really awesome. And she's done some other projects for us too as they come up. So if we have a special project that requires somebody to work through a database or to create events on our PushPay app or whatever it is, she digs in, she figures out how to do it, and she does it. So That's helpful. I think sometimes people hear you know, here's a virtual assistant and it doesn't quite connect with what that would look like in real time in their job or something. So thanks for sharing that. Cause I, d- I do think that kind of gives a little bit of a picture in how it might work for, for those listening in. So uh, check out Belay Solutions uh, and you can use the forward slash reclaim leader and, and there's some things there for you to, to check out. Um, let's see, anything else we want to check in on before we dive into the topic today? Yeah. So, um, Again, I want to remind everyone to check out our Facebook group. We got some good conversations going on there. And pretty soon, I think we're coming up on a time when we're going to maybe do a little uh, little coffee magic happening on the Facebook group and uh, encourage folks to be a part of that. Or if you are uh, Allie Cullinane, that you'll buy a salad. On the, yeah, I apologize on behalf of my staff for taking up half of the coffee budget last time. So, hey, listen, if you're listening to this podcast, you get there first, use up all that coffee so that that might that's be- right. Yeah. <laughs> we love you, Allie. Anyway, yeah, uh, and yes, but we've had some good conversation on there. I also, uh, Jesse and I, one of us are going live every week uh, for about 10, 15 minutes to talk a little bit about the previous episode and any kind of extra conversation around that. So it's a nice way of getting some extra free content. Uh, and then also to remind everyone to sign up for the Rethink Leadership Conference. Um, Jesse and I are going to be there again. We'd love to meet up with you. Um, what we did last year is we went out for a meal together and uh, you know maybe there's some other chance that we get to, to meet. So we'd love to do that. We'd love to connect. So uh, again, Rethink Leadership I think we're at about a place where it's going to go up in price soon. So you want to check that out. Uh, but it's a great conference and uh, hope that we see you there. Yeah. And you can just, if you just Google Rethink Leadership, it'll take you to the orange website and you kind of got to hunt for it a little bit, but you'll find the, the link there to that and gather with other pastors and leaders from around the country that are that are trying to lead change in their churches too. So love to have you be a part of that. 
Um, today, Jason, we're talking just you and I. It's a conversation with two pastors working really hard in the trenches of ministry, trying to figure things out and learning as we go along and kind of navigating into new territory or at least kind of some ways of communicating and being as the church that maybe aren't exactly intuitive for us. Some of it maybe is, and some of it maybe is not, but the things that we need to be paying attention to as leaders so that we can continue to communicate and reach effectively to the next generations. And so that's where we're going today. Um, why don't you introduce our conversation and a little bit of kind of where this topic came from or what kind of brought it to your mind to want to have a conversation about it? Yeah, this is a topic really about preaching and about the preaching moment in our congregations. Um, and it's it's tackling preaching from a practitioner's point of view, not necessarily a, you know, a homiletics professor. Is it, is it homiletician? Is that the right? But it's not, it shows I, that I'm not that because <laughs> I don't know what that really is. Um, but really it's, it's trying to figure out what are the assumptions that I make when I get up there to preach a sermon and in what way are those assumptions getting in the way of reaching further with the gospel message um, than I currently am. And I think this has everything to do with what are the assumptions of modernity that I make every time I get up there and preach? And what do I have to be careful to do or not to do in order to reach people here and now, not people 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago in the way that I craft my sermon, the way that I deliver it, um, what is pro- what's the relationship between proclamation and you know the sermon writing process the the lens through which i view the content and then how i deliver it so i really want to talk get into that um i was thinking a lot about alan roxborough in his book missional he tells this story i, I love this story uh, of a marine biologist who spoke to him about coral reefs and uh this is what she said from the book. This is Missional, Joining God in the Neighborhood uh, by Alan Roxborough. She said, they are dying, all of them, and there's nothing anyone could do about it. I can continue to swim among them as if nothing has changed. How do I get my head around the fact that in a generation, they'll be all dead? Likewise, what Roxborough says is the sociological reality of the church in North America is that it's dying right? The institutional church is dying. Yet many local congregations continue to swim as if nothing has changed. So if these churches continue to use the same ecosystem, right? The methods, the approach, the cultural assumptions in order to regenerate, then they will inevitably fail. So, you know, basically what has changed is the ocean around the ecosystem, (laughs) right? Uh, the ocean has changed, but but I think in sometimes our approach to dealing with the institutional church, we act as if it's an ocean that existed in a previous time. And I think that's true with our preaching, that the ocean around us has changed. The ecosystem has changed. And we have to make make sure that our approach reflects those changes. So I just want to talk about a few of those changes today. Yeah, I, sounds good to me, and we can dive into that and uh, 
Yeah, it's kind of kind of dealing with the reality in front of us and not what we wish it was or wanted to be, but how things actually are. And then what does that mean for our preaching and our leadership in that in that preaching time? And so let's get into it and and kind of dive into just kind of a couple layers of it. I'm sure there's there's way more to be said than we're going to get to today. But um, yeah, let's dive in and talking about sort of this um what you would call sort of the, the I focus versus we focus. Let's talk about some of that because I think that, that kind of jumped out in our conversation as we were talking about this. So, so what do you mean by that? And what does that mean for our approach to preaching? Yeah, I think. And so th- that's the first one in preaching is that, you know, our modern assumption is that everything is about individual salvation, individual spiritual formation, individual, individual, you know, we're, you know, rugged individualists. It's, I mean, that's our story, right? So, um, or has been our story. And I think because I came to know Jesus through a very evangelical mechanism by which, you know, it was explained to me what Jesus did on the cross. I was offered a decision point to make for my personal salvation. And I, for probably most of my adult life, always saw it as, Preaching is bringing individuals to individual decisions of faith. Well, I don't think that's incorrect. I think it's incomplete. Hmm. I think it's the tendency to preach me instead of we. And, and so I think that's the first one. I don't know if you struggle with that, Jesse, but it yeah, just seems no. like my default, the gravitational pull is, is to a more individualistic approach. Or the, the, the person, the individual targeted communication. How does this apply to your life, your situation, your next step? And those things, and and some of that's appropriate. We're preaching to individuals in the context of a community, and our life as followers of Jesus relates to our very real and very individual lives, as well as it does to a whole community. But I do think we tend to lean toward that I-focused or or individual-focused um, application to our preaching, uh, application or even interpretation of Scripture in our preaching, and. Uh, it's important that we we have moments of what does this mean for us as a community that we bring into our preaching too. And um, I remember um, actually it was when Jim Mead, who was uh, working here as a staff member a couple of years back, he said, what is it that needs to get up and out into the congregation that is sort of the whole community needs to know of, be aware of, or wrestle with together? What does it mean for us? And to start using more of that communally sort of rich language rather than just sort of this me focused kind of deal. And in fact, if you, if you get into some of the texts, maybe um, in some of Paul's letters, we read the word you for it is by grace through faith that you've been, you have been saved. And really it's plural, right? It's you all. Yeah. And, and we miss that. And I think it's so easy to preach for us because of where we come from to preach to the individual and miss what it means uh, for the community or something. So it, you know, I don't know that we need to say a ton more about that, but just how important it is to say these are the imp- this is the implication for us in our life together as a yeah. community, as yeah. a, as a body, as part of the narrative too. You need to preach to the individual, uh, but you also need to preach to the community. And so, I think it's just being aware of that and bringing that into your into your preaching. And it may be this is how I started way back um, a, a number of years ago with some of these things. Anytime I wanted to bring in a new kind of layer in the preaching or, or remember to make a certain move in the sermon, I started writing it down on a sticky note and putting it with my computer so that when I was crafting the message, I remembered to bring in a, a moment like that, a we kind of community moment or whatever, whatever it happened to be. Um, 
So sometimes you have to just be super disciplined and start practicing doing that. So that's probably way more than needed to be said about that. But no, I think I, it's about being intentional, right? If my gravitational pull is more individualistic, then I need to be reminded to think about the we. And you know, what's interesting is as I think about this, I've seen the fruit that's born by, by not having a balance there. And that is kind of created Christians who approach the preaching moment as an individual lesson to be gleaned mostly in the head and thought about in isolation and practiced in private spiritual disciplines Mm -hmm. instead of a regenerated community, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of a, a church that's pulling in the same direction to accomplish God's ends. Yeah. And I would say in that, in the way that in that frame, then it really is, it's also a leadership moment. Yeah. Where is God leading us together? How has God at work in our life together? Where, you know, so yeah, I think you're, you're spot on with that, that um, we can turn a sermon easily into content for somebody to take in as an individual and do with whatever they would like and miss out on sort of the, the momentum or the direction that can be created. Uh, yeah. And something beyond just preaching about, well, we're all different parts of the body. Like that's the one thing that like, you know, we can't, I don't mean to laugh, but it's like, it's the one thing that you always hear. And, um, and that's okay. But which is still individual, right? Because you are individuals, members of it. And so we still get that individual piece in there. Um, And so what, what are there kinds of, are there phrases that you've used or how have you made, how do you make that turn? towards the we kind of um, expressions in your preaching? Are there things that you're doing to do that? Or is this something you're kind of working on? Yeah, I need. well, it's definitely a work in progress. I don't think I've arrived in this, but what I've, I've tried to do, and I actually think I, I took this, I mean, every good thing I do, I took from someone else, basically. So, (laughs) you know, I, um, I think it was Andy Stanley. It's, it's just a very simple phrase. Imagine if we did this. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine what it would look like. How would our church be different if we all did this? If we all, you know, imagine how God would move the needle. What sort of a community would we have? It's it's getting them to imagine a shared future. Yeah. And and that, I just think that's a really yeah. helpful way. And you can pepper that into any sermon. Exactly right. Yeah. So I think that's that's a really simple phrase or tool. Imagine if we, or what if we together did, or yeah, I love it. It's really good yeah. stuff. So the I, we individual versus community, that tension we're, we're trying to wrestle with in our preaching in, in, I'd say in our modern sort of teaching kind of approach has been more individually focused and we need to kind of bring in some of that community uh, stuff. What else? We talked about the sort of the visual aspect of communication today uh, and older approaches, you have somebody stand up in a pulpit and read their notes, um, you know, their manuscript or whatever. Uh, that's not how everybody does it today. Let's talk about the visual reality of preaching. Yeah. You know, there is no doubt that there are some really excellent manuscript preachers out there. I would say the I could probably count them on one hand. <laughs> um is that the sermon, if we ignore the fact that people learn visually, if our mod- modern assumption is is sort of like in a style that is kind of manuscript, no visual aids, 
I think we're really missing it because even our, we talk a lot about millennials. They're 35, right? They grew up with smart boards in their classrooms. Most of them grew up with smart boards in classrooms. The visual reality and learning is their norm. And, and again, I know this gets talked about a lot, but I think a lot of it's all talk is that pastors get stuck and they don't know how to incorporate in the right way, visuals that will help drive home the sermon. So what I mean by visuals is not just a PowerPoint presentation with bulleted points of your sermon. I th- that's not exactly what I mean when I say visual. I mean, in what way are visuals that you use during your sermon um, burning a memory into the brains of the people in the room in such a way that it creates like a lasting spiritual impact because we're all, we're all such visual learners now. And, and so I'll tell you what I do is that, uh, and we've talked about this before. I actually write my sermon visually. I I write it by looking at at images and putting them together in like a storyboard Um, is I use images along with what I'm saying, uh, which isn't anything new, but not just to show bullet points, but to really drive home an idea um, or, or even a mood that I'm trying to create. A sense of, it, that's a, it sets an environment, right? When yeah. you have different yeah. visuals, whether that's some, some stage setting that you've put up with different kinds of lighting or different kinds of things, absolutely, or even whether your face is, is buried in your notes or you're looking up and making eye contact with people. Um, yeah. The, and I think here's the thing. We have to really stop and think about how did I learn to listen to a sermon? Yeah. Um, because um, that that same experience is not true for everybody else. Right. Um, so a lot of our, our our folks that are maybe further down the road of life, they they learn to listen to a sermon by listening to somebody read their manuscript, hopefully in a way that was engaging and useful. But they're that's sort of like, okay, no, not a big deal. If, if you kind of read from your notes and whatever, um, I tend to find if you are a manuscript preacher, when you tell stories, I think narrative works really well in a manuscript. If you, yeah. if you really are, you got to have life in there and, and keep it moving in that way. Um, and I can listen to great manuscript preaching because what I appreciate about it is the carefulness of the language. Yeah. And, and how, you know, you can, you can say it exactly the way that you wanted to say it, which you know, I'm, I don't use um, notes to, to preach anymore um, after a number of years of kind of experimenting with different things. And the thing that I miss most about having my paper in front of me is the careful turn of phrase that I work so hard on, yeah. right? Or just saying it just the right way. And I've had to let go, of, let go of some of those things. But instead of getting, you know, so we have to kind of be aware of how did we learn to listen to a sermon? How does that inform kind of the way we approach even sermon writing and presentation and then stepping out of that for a moment and going, but what's, what's the best way or what's a good way, even if it's not the best way, what's a, a, a different or a, a good way for me to communicate that is going to connect with people. Yeah. And this visual aspect is, is an important part of that in a, in our world today that we can't yeah. ignore. Yeah. And to your point, it's everything. It's from your presentation, you know, it, whether it's extemporaneous or another kind, it's, are you making eye contact? Are you um, looking up? Are you connecting with people in the room? Uh, are the visuals such that they are helping to get the message across? 
Um, and I think, you know, depending on, on your age, I think for a lot of baby boomers, it's about like sort of they think business presentations, PowerPoint sort of, you know, let's hit every point. And that can have some effect. But again, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. It's about what's happening visually in the room because people receive information, um, actually more of the information is received by what they see than what they're just hearing. So those two, we have to think of that. We can't just assume that, you know, we're the lecturer and, and they're listening and they're going to sort of mm-hmm. diligently take notes and figure that out. Yeah, it's been interesting as we've experimented with different things um, to have slides on the screen. I, I tend to have a pretty um, dialed back slide and I use instead of kind of point by point by point, it's sort of like a key phrase or a question yeah. or something that I'll put mm-hmm. up there. And, um, but it's interesting to see people taking pictures of our, of the screen, like for, and, and I'm like, this is a totally different way to take notes, man. Yeah. This is like, and yeah. So, you know, if some people are using their smartphone to capture what's gone, it's just a different, I mean, it tells us we're in a different world. Can you imagine somebody busting out a <laughs> camera in, in 1950s Presbyterian church and taking pictures of the, you know, I don't, it's just, it's totally different. So yeah. we have to be thoughtful about What's useful. And then ask, I think maybe one, one good thing to do is just ask for feedback on how it's going and try not to be too defensive and kind of take the approach of, I'm just trying some things. I want to communicate effectively. So I'm going to, I'm going to try this. It's an idea, especially if it's a new or newer kind of thing for your congregation, people might resist it at first, but you say, I just, I want to try it. I want to see if there's more effective ways to communicate and experiment with a little bit. The, the nice thing is you're going to get to try again, you know, seven days from now. So yeah. if it didn't work, do, try something else or whatever. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. You'll have 51 other sermons this year. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> right. For better or worse, you get 51 other tries. So um, that's right. Yeah. So I, I think then another assumption that we might make based on our modern predisposition is Again, it's a gravitational pull to always be proving and never proclaiming. And so what I mean is, is I'll just take myself as an example. My default is more of an apologetic stance, I think, in the preaching moment that I want to prove why what I'm saying is true. And I'll, and I'll do a lot of different techniques in order to get there. But really, fundamentally, the preaching moment really looks a lot like a teaching moment. And where I'm kind of laying down proofs. And the problem is, is that I realized that's not quite the same thing as proclamation, pro- proclaiming this new reality of Jesus Christ, that this, this supernatural new reality of what Jesus Christ has done. And, and I need to be careful of that because um, Christ isn't something that's only meant to be proved. It's something... He's something that's in someone that's meant to be proclaimed mm-hmm. that whatever reality is going on in someone's life, there is a supernatural good news that must be spoken into it. And I need, I need to work on that. Yeah. I need to work on that. Yeah. yeah. It's not just all about reason. Yeah. I, I do think, especially with that younger crowd, they want to, the preaching op- is is also an opportunity to kind of have an experience to be caught up in something. Um, and if it is purely just teaching and sort of that, here's the, here's my point, and then two supporting points and um, or reasons why we can trust this is actually the case. I think that is we need to do some of that, right? We can't just 
put stuff out there and not support it with any any sort of argument or evidence or something, but to create more opportunities for people to be caught up in sort of the story of Jesus and let that that account or that story speak for itself and challenge us and uh, shape us, not because, you know, Jason or Jesse offered three good solid pieces of evidence that that story actually happened in real time and space or something. Um, so one, I don't know what your approach has been, Jason, but for me, um, to kind of go, you know what, you might have big questions about this and you may or may not be sure that this actually happened or whatever. Um, but if it's true, think about what it means for us. Yeah. And, and instead of getting in and going, you know, so there's good reason to think that yada, 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 which, you know, might be appropriate from time to time, but if it's true, man, it changes everything. And here's why and what it means and kind of get, invite people to get caught up in the implications of what Jesus has done or said, and not so much in the, did he actually say it or not, or did it really happen? And, uh, or is this a, is this a really, should we really do this thing? And here's the reasons why we should or something, but to kind of let it, let it go. I think that's a great way of approaching it is now, what are the implications of this? What are the big implications of this? If for this our is lives, true, for our world, how does this change reality? Yeah. And so maybe yeah. saying something like, so what does this mean for you and for me and for the world we live in and our neighbors? And what if, and you kind of, you kind of bring it into a, 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 what I would call instead of a, um, a, where they take it in and digest it and apply it to the individual life, where you invite them to collaborate with you in that moment by saying, what if, and what would it look like if you, and how, what might happen and kind of let people kind of get caught up in imagining in their own lives. If this is true, if, if, if this, this, if, if this is the case, if this is what God wants, here's what might happen because of it. So anyway, I got a little preachy right there. too. (laughs) No, it's good. And um, I was thinking about proclamation one way of framing it is think about the Emancipation Proclamation. So what was that? It, it was declaring a new reality. Yeah. That this is a new reality that frees us. Like that's the proclamation of the gospel. It's a new reality that frees us. And you can speak it into the life of a community, this new reality that frees us from sin and death. And I feel like I just need to think about preaching as power more. Yeah. Um, Preaching is power of the gospel, which is not necessarily native to our sort of tradition. Our, our lane. <laughs> no, that's very true. <laughs> we, we we preach an intellectual sort of approach that there is a deep, uh, you know, uh, connection between faith and reason, and we're gonna we're not gonna abandon that for some sort of experiential moment. But but without the power of the moment or the movement of the Holy Spirit in that moment, and what do we, you know, we're missing something. I think is what you're saying. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I love it. I think that's just something for us to stew on. Where am I proclaiming? Where am I proving? And is there a healthy balance between those those two things? Well, and the bro- the proclamation of the word literally brings me back to life. I, I can't just be entertained back to life or uh, kind of gently massaged back to life again. <laughs> I need a proclamation of the word of God. Yeah, I love and, it. And I'm not always, that's just not always like in the front of my mind as I'm going through the process of writing and delivering a sermon. I, I don't know why. I, again, I, I suspect it has to do with just the tradition, the sure. ocean that I've been swimming in. Yeah. And, and I think it has to do with kind of the last thing we're going to land on here is, is sort of uh, cultivating this experience of the sort of the mystery of God again. And this sort of, I, I'd say the pendulum is swinging back towards, towards a, a longing to have an encounter with God that is not as so much about the content that is delivered 
uh, or the specific words that are said, but the environment that is created where I can get in touch with the mystery of God again, or I can sort of have in a moment of an, ex- an encounter with, with the God that spoke everything to existence. Um, so this mystery of God piece is something that you also kind of put in your notes about something we maybe we're missing or need to make sure we, we think about in our preaching. So what do you mean by that? How do, what does that even look like? Or what, you know, how do we approach that? Yeah, I think for me, what it means is, again, to be reminded that a sermon isn't just a collection of propositional truths about God, where as if everything to be known about God is, is captured in a fill-in-the-blank <laughs> moment, easy, right? Easy. Yeah. Right? That, no, like sure. that somehow uh, there's an answer and I'm going to give you every answer to uh, everything about God. It's another, I think it's another way. We don't mean it to be, but I think it's another way of just trying to control God or to keep God controllable that, you know, we've, we've got God under wraps, <laughs> you know, we, we got him figured out and we're going to explain to you uh, every, everything that we know. And I know that comes from a good place. You know, I say, I say to folks all the time, you know, the difference between me and you is that I went to seminary to learn how to find the answers. So I just know, I know the cheat codes to the video game. That's it. (laughs) I I know how to find the cheat codes. And, um, but I think what it means in the preaching moment is for me to say things like, I don't know. I don't know this about God, really. I don't know why about God doing this really, but here's some ideas I have. Yeah. And it leaves room for the mystery of God without, without making people think that I'm telling them that everything's a fill in the blank answer. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, we stopped doing fill in the blanks, um, here, but about three years ago or so. And there was a, it was a long, actually, I didn't think it would be a conversation. We experimented with it where we were just going to try not to, do that and do something, you know, just have people take notes if they wanted to. And the pushback that we got was mostly from sort of the, I would say mid forties and up crowd who were used to that kind of where you fill in the blanks and and write some things down out of that. Yeah. Out of the outline of the sermon or whatever. I'm not saying that that's a completely bad thing. We, we, we stopped doing it because partly for the reasons that you mentioned here is that this passage of scripture it might be saying something different to you right now in this moment in your life and where you are than what I thought the three key points were today. Yeah, and so to kind of it kind of gives permission again for Scripture to speak to each each person and to us as a community instead of just here's my sort of definitive three point you know here's what I think it says about God and about us and um, so I, I do think that that pulling back from that a little bit and giving some more permission and room for people to kind of wrestle and say. I thought your phrase is really good. You know, I have some really, uh, some thoughts about this passage and I can't wait to share them with you. Um, but you might, you might see it a little bit differently and, and maybe it hits you in a different way and that's okay. But here's kind of what, what I, what I heard and what I've seen and what I saw in this passage. I want to share that with you today. So I do think it creates a little permission and some room for God to be bigger than just, you know, the, the time that we spent researching or something like that for our sermon. And, and you know why that's important is because, that's already where people are. They, they already, um, they already are, don't know, you know, why 
God has done this or that in their life. They already are skeptical of anybody who says that they have it all figured out. They, they're already saying things like God is much bigger than this one way, being Presbyterian or even being Christian. God is so much bigger than the walls that we've erected in his honor. Um, and they're right. They're right. It, you know, and sometimes we get stuck in, or, or we're afraid to acknowledge that. Be like, yeah, you know what? Totally. But this is how I believe he has been revealed very specifically through Jesus Christ. But, but you're right. There's so many things about, I have no idea yeah. how God's going to do this yeah. or this or what he thinks about this or this. I have some ideas, yeah. but you know, and there's an country. authenticity to that, a genuineness, a freedom, hopefully that comes for you as a preacher too, to not feel like the pressure to have the definitive answer about every single thing yeah. uh, under the sun or anything that shows up in scripture to be able to kind of admit to some of the mystery. And, and uh, I think that is, I think that is something that resonates with that younger crowd that sometimes though, quite frankly, feels threatening to some of our folks that have been around the church for a long time. Cause there's, then they kind of lean back and go, wait a minute, are you, you're supposed to be our pastor and kind of, you're supposed to be the one that knows this stuff. And you mean, I have to go and look in scripture for myself. And um, uh, so sometimes I'll say something like, and don't just take my word for it, go and look for yourself and find out. Because if you just wait for everybody else to tell you the answer to everything, you know, about the Christian faith and about God, you know, how, how do you know that they're telling the truth and you need to take ownership and go and find out for yourself. And, but some people are like, well, didn't you, that's what I thought that's why you went to school. Like, aren't yeah. you supposed to be an expert? And I think our job is not always just to be the expert to, but to be the leader in the sense of bringing people along on the journey from where they are to experience and uh, get to, to experience more of God and just be in touch and contact with him. And one of our, our folks here, um, Katie was talking about, um, we were kind of wrestling with how do we create an environment that kind of leads people to into an encounter with God. That's, that's sort of big and uh, experiential and, and change and impacts them in a real way. How do we do that? And I think we had been operating with the assumption that we needed to convince people that they were there to have an encounter with God before we did anything else. And so we, we would sort of say, okay, how do we convince people that they, they should be connecting with God when they come here on Sunday. And Katie said something really great. I thought she said, no, we need to start with the assumption that people are here because they have a longing already to have a connection to God and an encounter with God. And then we just need to facilitate that in the way that we talk and worship and, and those things, because people are already hungry for that. We don't need to convince them. That's what they do. Yeah. And I think sometimes as a Presbyterian, I go, wait, wait a minute. Yes, I do. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, you don't know the Presbyterian, but I think she's right. People yeah. have a longing, whether they completely understand or know or not, they're there because they want to have an encounter with God. And, you know, our opportunity is to help them have that, have that through the way we talk and the way we sing and all the things we do. And don't you think, Jesse, that how we've gotten to this place in preaching with um, a mod, you know, modern assumptions rather than the postmodern ocean that we're in has a lot to do with the pressure of the preaching moment to accomplish a lot more than proclamation because, and so what I mean is our folks will, will give us one hour, you know, they're not going to do another hour of Bible study and teaching. They're just, for whatever reason, this is the culture of our church. They'll give you an hour, they'll come to worship. And so I feel like there's so much more pressure to teach and proclaim in a sermon than maybe there used to be. 
And so that's why I think I, I have a tendency to lean toward teaching more than proclaiming. Do you find that to be true where you are? Do you feel that pressure? Yeah, yeah I, I do think it's you sort of, there is that pressure and it is kind of your one shot, so to speak, yeah. uh, people every week. And so it can, it can, yeah, it is kind of pressure to, to, to deliver the goods and to make sure that you're also helping people grow in their knowledge and understanding it through some teaching involved in that. I think some teaching is good on um, maybe if, if, if the passage you're preaching on or the theme is if it's appropriate to dive into a piece of theology and kind of explain it a little bit, that's fantastic. If yeah. it, if the passage and the theme lends itself to that, to do it just to do it, I think is, is probably a mess. But, and then it kind of begs the question, maybe this is a different episode. How are we then, if, if the preaching moment is now proclamation, where does the teaching come in that is needed for people to kind of get the substance and the content of the Christian? Faith? Right. Well, well I do, I do believe it's both. I do believe yeah. it's both. Um, it, but it's the proclamation part that I'm, I'm just not always paying that much attention to because, you know, if you take it to, to the extreme, just be like, well, you know, I'm just going to go over We could be like, you know what? I have no idea. Je- <laughs> Jesus is Jesus and, and God's a mystery. And we're so yeah. glad that you're here. Um, now our ushers are going to come forward to receive the offering. That's right. So, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's a both and not, sure. not an either, or I just think. Yeah. And, and it may be that if we are going to move, move toward more of a proclamation sort of moment and encounter, um, kind of moment, uh, and let kind of the, the, the text or, or the story speak for itself and, and all those kinds of things to have a little bit more experiential based preaching kind of approach then we do need to think about what what on the back end do we need to be doing to help people onboard the content of the Christian faith? Yeah. Uh, to learn and discover careful thinking and teaching on different theological points or on scripture itself, because that is that is important too. But what I hear us saying is that can't all be accomplished in the same 25 minutes or 30 yeah. minutes that we have for a sermon. And so I'm not sure what the answer to that second half is. It might look like a lot of different things, depending on where you are and what your people are up for as far as other opportunities. I know you guys have gone to the Facebook Bible study kind of strategy. Um, There's a lot of great content people can engage with out there online in the time that they do have during the week. So how do we help them get into touch with those things when they want to go deeper? So lots lots of good thoughts here. Love it. So uh, just just before we kind of move on, um, you know, and wrap this episode up. How long do you preach? What do you preach? An hour? Not quite an hour. hour, hour and uh, no, 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 no. Although some people, uh, I think I told you about the gentleman in our church that would, that would keep track of how long I preached <laughs> to the minute and the second. And then he would tell me every single week how long I preached. Um, so, um, yeah, that was really, cheerful. that's a whole episode right there. I don't think it was a compliment is, <laughs> but, uh, I suspect we have a 30 minute segment set aside for preaching. I typically go a little bit beyond that to into the 32 to 34 minute, you know, range. Um, sometimes it's a little bit less, uh, but it's based, it's kind of off the frame in which, which I preach in, in the kind of the way what we do things. And so, um, I find that um, just from the feedback people give, I'm sure this is not the case every Sunday, but that seems to be about right for us mm-hmm. as far as the amount of content that people are willing to and stay connected to and engaged with. And uh, But you can kind of read the room. You notice when people start leaning back or, or whatever. Uh, and that's why I think you have to, if you're going to preach for more than 
20 minutes, you got to think about some different moves in the message that are going to, uh, you know, there's a lot more to say about that whole strategy to keep people connected and engaged to stay leaning forward or to re-engage if their mind got distracted. So that's another episode, but that's how long we go. How about you? Yeah. So, uh, Around there, I, I think my natural arc is about 25 minutes. Yeah. But, and it seems right, but there's always that little piece of me that's thinking, you know what, TED Talks are 18 minutes. And mm-hmm. I know it's not a TED Talk, but I'm just thinking about like the effectiveness of a shorter, more more concise message might be better, but I, I have a hard time doing that with only a week to prepare. I, I feel like I need... Yeah. To you make know. it really tight is is tough, and yeah. to make it conversational and, and relatable is tough in in, in right. that window. Because it's not just a presentation; it, it's right. it it's should more. feel more it's, like a conversation. It's something more. There's got to be some story and yeah. example that bring people in. I, I would say this though: there's um, Andy and Katie are are, are are directors of youth environments here at, at Marine View, uh, pointing me towards something some folks are doing out there. They call it I can't remember. I'm going to blow the name of it, but we'll we'll maybe put a link to, to some of this out there, but it's like a one minute recap of the oh, sermon. Yeah. yeah I can't, I've heard about this. I can't remember what they're called. Anyway, they're like in, you know, Instagram and places where I don't like <laughs> button work to go there or something. But um, anyway, but it's kind of like a one minute recap with a challenge at the end or something that you could share with your friends and neighbors that maybe wouldn't come to church. But here's kind of the high points of what we talked about and the implications. And it kind of brings it way down into a really concise thematic statement or series of statements about what was talked about. And they're doing it in the context of youth ministry environments, but I think something similar could be used in the context coming out of Sundays or looking ahead at an upcoming sermon as a way, as a kind of a, a connect point um, to, to really boil it down to just the nuts and bolts or something. But yeah. All right, man. Good stuff. It's, yeah. Fun. Uh, fun fun talking about this. And I hope that for all you preachers out there who are working on sermons, that, that this is helpful, that it's helping you think through um, approaching that preaching moment and making sure that it is, that it, it swims in the right ocean, <laughs> you know, that it's not, uh, that it's really going to reach people where they are, not, in, in, which may be different than how we were trained to reach them, probably will be different. Um, and that's the piece that, you know, kind of circling back to our, to the beginning, we're talking about the moving target of revitalization. It's like the moving target of communication as well, Yeah, that we can't just fossilize in what we kind of land on. We have to always be thinking about how to keep moving forward, which is exhausting. It is exhausting. (laughs) And that's the hard part about change is it never ends. Right. And so come back, celebrate, like we talked about and give yourself permission to try something different and just say to the congregation, Hey, I'm going to try a different approach to preaching for the next three weeks. I'm going to try to whatever. Don't try and disguise it or whatever. Just, just say out loud, you know, I think it's important to to try and figure out how to communicate well. And so anyway, I think people have a lot more grace for that kind of stuff, or at least the right people do. And probably 70 or 80% of the congregation is going to go, Hey, that's cool. And it's that 10% or those few people that are going to be like, well, I always liked it when you, and just ignore those people. Try some new things (laughs) to get the word out. Right on. All right, Jesse. Well, until next time, I hope that everyone um, has a good week, that you, things are moving forward in your ministry, that the Lord is blessing you and the people that you are reaching. And just remember, you are not alone in this. We're here with you. 
Uh, got a lot of friends and colleagues who are trying this all over the world. And um, just know that this is part of what God's doing in his church. He's revitalizing and, you know, just like any renovation project, it's, it's messy business, but hang in there because the end result is going to be beautiful. So the drywall um, will wash out of your head. It'll be okay. <laughs> that's right. There's a lot going on. So anyway, glad to be in the conversation with you, Jason, and with you all out there. Uh, reach out to us, Jesse or Jason at reclaimleader.com. Those are our email addresses, and we'd love to hear from you and uh, have conversations, talk together, talk shop, all those kinds of things. That's why we're doing this. So uh, until next time around, hope this is helping you lead change without losing your roots. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey. 